do that over here too? Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. I'm looking forward to tonight. I'm already looking forward. Tuesday morning at Straight Talk, fill that parking lot up. In the book of Matthew, you're going to tear that up. And then Wednesday night, we're going to get back into Daniel. I believe it's chapter 10 in the book of Daniel. And see what the Lord has for us. But tonight is the second part of this message that I have done parts of. <laughs> and um, they're all apropos. They're, they're, they're pointing toward what this fast is turning into in our church and what it will do for you personally. I, I preached to you the first message during our fast, which is today our officially last day, about the approach to the battle. This is the year of battle. This is the year of victory, and the battle is whose? Let's say that one more time. The battle is? It sure is. And so it's how we approach a battle, knowing that the battle is the Lord's. That was the first message. The second one is how we perceive the battle. It's how we see it. Do we see it as? I did something wrong. I must be in trouble. This is something from my past. Or why is, it, is this happening? Why am I going through? None of these things are true when it comes to battles. Because battles are different than trials and tribulations that we all have. The world says, the Bible says, that it, it rains on the just and the unjust as well. But battles are spiritual situations that God controls. And Christians are are unique in the fact that we're the only ones that have battles. Now, I hear people say, I'm battling this and that. But a battle is something from God to you that has a win at the end of it. And he's trying to draw you closer to him and mold you and shape you and more into what he wants you to be. If you look at the life of David, who's the greatest example of battles from the age of 14 or 15 years old when he killed Goliath, and then he went into service for the king, it was nothing but battles. But those battles forged him and made him the man that Israel recognized really as they would sing a song when David and Saul would come in after battle. Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And it was battles that made David. And then when he was excommunicated for doing nothing and kicked out of the kingdom and became uh, guilty of treason that he had not committed. It was the battle of a seven or eight year period of running from Saul and hiding from Saul, even with the opportunity to take things in his own hands. On two, uh, on two different occasions, David had the opportunity to kill Saul, right out and kill him and get away with it. But he didn't kill his adversary. He said, this is God's anointed and I won't. And the battle honed him into the leader that he was, that God would, God said that if I would be a man, I would, if I would fashion myself as a man, it would be David. What a compliment for God to say that. Wouldn't it be nice if God said he would be you if he was a man or a woman? Wouldn't that be nice? Well, that comes in battles. 
And I don't understand it completely. And Eric, thank you. I just now saw you. I did, I did ask if there's any visitors. Thank you. Eric helps me so much there and Judy. And Sorry, that's just a moment I'm having. Battles form you and shape you. And they hone you into what God wants you to be. And so in God's economy, he's chosen battles. Now, if you don't want the battle, you step aside or you negate that battle or refuse to get in that battle that God has for you, you can do that. We have a will. But I want to tell you this. You'll never grow in God outside of battles. I didn't want to hear that. Well, if you know you're going to win them and God's going to help you win them, does that help? Does that help? If we can keep our hands off, our fingerprints off the picture and let God fight our battles for us, when he said the battle's mine, he really meant that. This morning I talked to you about preparing for the battle. We talked about approaching the perception to battles. This morning we're preparing for battle. And this evening I'm talking to you about participating in the battle. Because God wants us to be involved in the battles. He does not, I told you the silly, foolish statement that people say God helps those that helps themselves. That's baloney. There's a worse word than that. I'm trying to think what it is in Hebrew, but it's worse than baloney. It's really bad. And it just means that's junk. It's not true. Not at all. That's not scriptural. God wants you involved in the battle because he wants to use you and he wants to hone you. He wants to mold you, but he wants to use you to bring glory to him. And listen to me. I'm telling you some things about battles that are very important. Every battle that you're involved in, in your life as a child of God, isn't for you to win and say, look, I've won and, 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 and gain anything out of it. Battles are meant to give God the glory. That's the thing that blew the minds of these five kings, this confederation of five Canaanite kings. In, and I'm still in Joshua chapter 10. That's where we started this morning. Five kings came when Israel had crossed Jordan and they were at Gilgal. And I told you about Gilgal. Gilgal stands for 12 stones. And those 12 stones were taken off of the flat, dry bed of Jordan when they crossed it at flood stage. I, 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 it, this is just it's so supernatural. It's incredible to believe that he could part Jordan at flood stage, which might have been a quarter of a mile wide, and the ground be dry, and the stones just picked them up and they carried them. But that's what God did. If you believe that same man. These aren't fairy tales. These are supernatural acts of God. And how they, they made a memorial. And that was the greatest thing that they started out. They memorialized what God had done for them. And then they praised God for all the many different things that God did to take care of them and guide them and lead them. But these battles that we go through as a child of God, that, that God sees. Now, God, let me tell you something about battles. God doesn't look at you or I and go, I'll tell you what, you, you're, you're needing a good battle. He doesn't do that. Are you listening? Let me tell you how battles come. It's when the enemy attacks you and you're a child of God, then God gets involved. Look at the sequence and the pattern. Joshua's leading the children of Israel. The Gibeonites that kind of tricked him into a little treaty 
the Gibeonites are saying, these five kings, these Amorites and Jebusites and Hivites and Hittites, that was the five kings, came down and they surrounded Gibeon. And you have a covenant with us, trick or not, you have a covenant. So Joshua takes the army there. And when he does, he asks God, should I do this? Is this something that I should do? And so he inquires of God, and God gives him a, a word that when we go to battle. Now, what I'm saying is this. Battles aren't something that God says, I got one for you that's going to make you better. It's when you're attacked by the enemy and we call on God that he involves himself in it and it becomes a battle. Okay? If we try to fight it by ourselves, it's called a slaughter. <laughs> Anybody ever been slaughtered besides me in here? That's ourselves. But when we go to God and the enemy attacks you, how do you know when the enemy attacks you? Oh, you know. And if you aren't spiritually uh, mature enough, and, and believe me, you grow in the Lord to understand an attack of the enemy, after a while, you will recognize the traits of the enemy when he comes against you, and you'll know it's an attack. And when an attack comes against you and you go to God, then God says this, okay, I'm going to take now, I'm going to take this attack that's come against you and I'm going to turn it into a battle and I've already got the end lined up. Now, how do you get that, Pastor? A great example is Joshua when he went to deliver the Gibeonites at Gibeon and he goes to the Lord and this is in chapter 10, verse 8 of the book of Joshua, Joshua 10, 8, and I'm reading from the NIV, and this is what he says. He said, the Lord said to Joshua, and he said, should I go? I'm going to go help the Gibeonites. And God said this, the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. Now, if I could take fear out of all of your battles, wouldn't that be wonderful? Because the first thing that happens when the enemy attacks you Fear sets in. There are five kings that made a federation, confederation, to destroy Israel when they come into the land of Canaan. When Gibeon made a, a pact with them, uh, a covenant with them, they were going to destroy Gibeon, and then they were going to destroy Israel. There was nothing that Israel had done to cause this, but they were being attacked. And when you're attacked by the enemy, it's quite normal for fear to set in. These five kings can stand for five different things in your life. Definitely fear is one of them. Depression is one of them. Well, that's something you don't have to fight, Pastor. Ask Ruth. You? Let me just tell you something about your pastor. I'm not some superman. I'm a normal person that has to rely on Jesus for everything I do because I get hit with depression. I get hit with fear. I get hit with doubt. You? Yeah, anybody that tells you they don't is a liar. Well, I'm above that spiritually. Well, you know what? You're really... You're high. I don't know what on, but you're high. 
Because we're humans. And the enemy is super strength. He's supernatural, but he's not God. And he's under the control of God. And these things that come against us, fear, doubt, dread, oppression, depression, and I can name other things that come against us. These are kings that we have to consider that come together many times all at one time. And it's a real kick when you have fear and doubt and depression hit you at the same time. Whatever happened to me, praise God. I'm a little Sunday school boy. Well, you're sick. Why are you pastor? Are you making fun of this? No, I'm trying to tell you we are human serving a superhuman God, a supernatural God. And we have to rely on God. I want to tell you this. I told the choir this, and I'm going to tell you this right now. If there was ever a time in your life, ever a time in your life, that you need to get close to God and cleave to God and get close to the Holy Spirit, today's the day. Are you listening to me? There are things coming. And you can be a basket case when they come. Or when they come, you can stand right in the middle of them and raise your hands and praise God and not be affected by them. And that's what I want. Amen? So here's David. He's attacked by this confederation of five kings. The king of Jerusalem, Jebusites, and all these different towns, the Hivites, the Hittites, the Gibeonites are kind of his friends for a little while here. But these are Canaanite gods. They're anti-God in nature. And anything that attacks you is an anti-God or anti-Christ in nature. <laughs> so he, he, he says, should I go? And the Lord said to him, the first thing you have to understand, because of me, because God is my God, the Lord is my Lord, Jesus is my King, do not be afraid of them. Now let me tell you how this is written. When you read this in the original text, it's a command, not a suggestion. Don't be afraid. <laughs> I was I never th I had forgotten about this, but one day I was out on a walk in our where we live and there's a, a road called the Old Buffalo Road. It's a, beautiful road and trees grow over it and it's just a nice lane Nate went with me and we were walking about a two mile walk and we were right in the middle of it and here came a carload of young men in their middle 20s and they thought it'd be funny to make a run at us like they were going to run over us and of course we jumped out of the way and I screamed I yelled at them well they stopped there was four of them and Nate looked at me and went you have put my life in jeopardy. That's what you just did. He was about 10 or 11. <clears throat> and he started shaking. He said, Dad, you don't understand what you just done. There's like four or five of those guys in that car. I want to know. He said, well, if you're not smart enough to be afraid, I'm afraid. And I said, just stick with me. That's what God says. Just stick with me. Because there's a sense of authority and power that God has that he doesn't let us in on all the time. But it's limitless. And so Nate 
stood there and he's quaking. And boy, they backed the car up right now. They said, you say something? I said, yeah, get out of that car. And they said, well, we'd be glad to. And about that time, I reached in my back pocket and I lifted up this thing called a badge of a state trooper. And I said, you see that, Hoss? I think that's what I called him, Hoss, because he was acting like Hoss. And he looked at that, and I said, read that real close. And he went, oh, my God. And I went, you're not praying, are you? He went, no. He said, he's a state trooper. And all of them went, oh, oh, we didn't mean it. I said, yeah, you did. Get out of the car. And Nate's still going, Dad, you've overloaded your circuit breaker. There are more of them than there is of us. But you see, there were more of us than there was of them. They just didn't see them, but the authority of God. You understand what I'm saying? Don't be afraid. It was a command. I said, Nate, don't be afraid. And he goes, but I am. I went, quit. Stop right now. And I said, get out of the car. I lined him up in front of the car. I said, let me have your driver's license, every one of you. Well, I didn't. I said, give me your license. Or I'm going to make one phone call. I got your car tag. I see who you are. And you're going to spend Christmas in jail. Give me your license. And they all give me their license. I said, now get out of here. Come to my office tomorrow morning at Troop D headquarters on Kearney Street at 8.30. All of you, I don't care if you miss work, and pick them up. And we'll decide what we're going to do. And they went, okay. Thank you. Shook my hand. But I said to Nate, Nate, don't be afraid. And when they left, he goes, how do you do that? I said, it's not me. It's what I stand for. It's what I represent. So when God tells you don't be afraid, it's what you stand for. It's what you represent that makes the difference. And when he commands you don't be afraid, you've got to understand that there's more with us than there is of them. There's a greater authority than me that there is that demonic attack that's coming against me. There's something greater, far greater than I am. And I can stand in the presence of God by the command of God and fear not for thou art with me. And that's what he says. First thing he said, let's get past fear. One of those kings. And then he said this. I have given them into your hand. This was not a local statement. This wasn't, see, you won this round. He's saying, I have given them into your hand. This statement, interpreted correctly, means from now on. Do you believe what I'm saying? It's the word of God. Can you apply it to your life? That's your choice. You can live in, I don't need it tonight, or it sounds good, or I don't know if I can do that. Or, or you can fear not and say, I'm going to take this, and I'm going to apply it. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to go devil hunting. These, I hear these guys go, I'm going to go out and find me a devil. You're a nut. That's not our job to go look, and they'll find you. The enemy will find you and attack you. You don't have to worry about that. When you're a child of God, you become a target of the enemy. And the more you serve God, the more of a target you become. And the greater target you become, the greater influx of the enemy comes against you. But greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. There's never a time where there's something greater than God in your life. Never. Never. He said, I'm with you. He said, go because 
I've given them into your hand. This is a, a non-conclusive statement. This means from this point forward. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. Not one. He says, hold it. You know about all five of them? God said, I know about all five of them. So what you're saying is when you go to God and God says, fear not, you don't have to go to God and say, well, let me give you the details here. He can tell you the details. He knows them. He knows the details. He knows every king that comes against you because their intent was this, to destroy Israel and stop the will of God for the nation of Israel coming into the promise and having all the things God had prepared. And the enemy has one goal for you, and that's to stop the will of God in your life. That's it. He can do it internally, and he can do it externally. He can try. But when you're covered with the blood of Jesus and you understand these things, we're under a different covenant than Joshua was. He was under the covenant of sacrificial gifts to God and the sacrifice of the priest. We're under the covenant of the blood of the Lamb of God, the sacrifice once and for all, and his blood is continually over us, and we're under a different covenant than he was, a greater covenant. So with that word from God, the next verse, 9, says, And after an all-night march to Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. Well, here's what happened. This morning I told you, he not only gave them a sound beating, keep on to the next verse. I mean, he trounced them, he beat them, and they start running and he starts chasing them on to the next one, catches them in surprise. They believe it was about 4.55 in the morning. Now, I read a lot of theologians that do a lot of hard work on stuff. I don't think it's that important. But they believe it was about 4.55 in the morning when, this, when they caught them by surprise. And the Lord, L-O-R-D, that is an Elohim turn. That's a Yahweh, great, great, great expression of an almighty God. Threw them into confusion before Israel. This is God did it. Do you understand this is what God, we read too fast. God threw the enemy into confusion. It wasn't a strategic move. It wasn't a military exercise. It was God himself that threw the enemy into confusion so that Israel could defeat them. And in your life today, how much more will Jesus, who loves and lives in us through the Holy Spirit, not confuse the enemy that comes against you so you can defeat that enemy? He gives you that power. They completely defeated them completely at Gibeon. And they pursued them on the road to Beth Haran and cut them down to Ezekiah and to Machedah. Now, Machedah, let me tell you about that. That's where they ended up taking, Machedah is where they ended up taking these five kings that had gone to a cave. Machedah means this, the shepherd's cave, a shepherd's dwelling. And they went to a place called Machedah, and there they found a cave, and these five kings ran because the beating was so bad. It tells us this. Now, in verse 16, now the five kings had fled and hidden in the cave at Machedah. 
and they were there. They thought they would wait it out and they would be okay. And when Joshua was told that the five kings had been found hidden in the cave of Machedah, he said, roll a large stone in front of the mouth of the cave and post some men there to guard it. But do not stop pursuing your enemy. Here's the difference between Joshua and Saul to come. When God told Saul, I want you to destroy the nation of Ai and Agag, their king, and everything, every living thing, Samuel comes to visit Saul, and Saul has the best sheep and the best cattle and some of the gold, and the king is alive, and Samuel says, what are you doing? What are you doing? God said, remove them all, destroy them all. So what Saul did, he stopped in the battle, and he didn't follow the commandments of God by removing all of the enemy. And what Joshua did was this, say, I'm not going to gloat over the fact that I got five kings in a cave. Seal it up. We're going to keep doing what God told us to do until it's done. But don't stop. Pursue your enemy. Attack them from the rear. Don't let them reach their cities For the Lord your God has given them. He said, I've got a promise from God. He said, he gave them to me. And it wasn't just for the other day. It's for next week and the next week. And if you look at the history of this incredible man of God, he pursued every one of them to every one of the cities of these five kings. And he destroyed them and their cities and everything about them. He didn't stop doing what God had told him to do to take a little time to say, look what I've done. Saul did. Saul failed. He wasn't complete in his mission. Joshua pleased God in everything he did. All 110 years of his life, he sought God. He said, roll a stone in front of him. And after we're finished, if you read further, you'll see that he destroyed every, the Jebusites, the Hittites, the Hivites, all of them. He comes back now. They're in the cave of Mecca. And he says, okay, undo the stone. Are you ready? Somebody better get ready. Colossians 2.15 says this. You don't have it, Boone. And by the way, I want to tell you something. The only reason you're watching this screen, put something up there, Boone. I don't care what it is, so I'm sure what you did. Is because Pastor Amber and Boone worked hours, not little, hours. Ours broke. Ours broke. Our computer broke. And they came back and transferred everything we got on Boone's computer back there. Pastor Amber and him worked together. And we have this today because two people said the enemy's not going to defeat this church and we're going to have something here. <laughs> so Joshua tells them, chase them. And when you think we've run out of time, we're going to keep chasing them. He's after them. He's got the kings. They're in the cave. And he says, man, I'm running out of daylight. And he stands up because this, because he had a promise from God. He said, I've given them into your hand, every one of them. 
And Joshua says, well, I've got to have daylight to do it. And he turns around, and in his zeal and his love for God, leave that up there, Boone. I like that scripture. When he does, he turns around, and he says, sun, stand still. Boy, I want to tell you something. I have read some of the stupidest accounts of scientists trying to say that didn't happen. But I'm going to tell you something right now. The sun stood still for the period of a day. And the moon froze in its place for the period of a day. And God allowed Israel to be used, participate in the battle to destroy the enemy in a supernatural way. And God will sustain you with time and ability that you've never had before. That's so supernatural you can't believe it. But once you get the enemy on the run, chase them and go to the end with them. Don't stop. After all of this is done, and they've returned safely, verse 21, the whole army returned, um, the whole army then returned safely to Joshua at the camp of Mechadah. And not one uttered a word against the Israelites. Nobody in in the other Canaanite countries weren't saying anything about Israel. Because they saw their God was real and what he could do when they were outnumbered, outplotted, surprise attacked, and everything. And so in verse 23, so they brought the five kings out of the cave. The kings of Jerusalem, Jebusites, Hebron, the Hittites, Jarmuth, Lachish, Eglon, the otherites, they're all there. He brings them all out. These five kings posed a confederation and they posed a threat against Israel completing God's will for for itself. Now there's at least five kings that have attacked you. They attack us all. Fear, dread, doubt, depression, hopelessness. Confusion, whatever they are, there's a lot. You may have some different ones, but there's at least five different kings. And once in a while, they all get together. What do you do? You put them in a contained place. You plead the blood of Jesus over your life and say, God, just hold them. Just hold. I'm going to keep doing what you told me. Even if the threat of those men are there, I'm going to hold them. You have helped me defeat The enemy, I'm not serving the world anymore. I'm serving Jesus. I'm going to serve you, and I'm going to go to the mat. I'm going to go to the end in this battle against my enemy. And when it's done, I'm going to come back and deal with those five kings. We're going to deal with those five kings tonight. How many say amen? And he said this to his men. He brought his men out after he brought them out and named each one of these And he says, here's what we're going to do. And they brought these kings to Joshua. And he summoned all of the men. Look at this. He summoned all of the men of Israel and said to the army commanders. The ones who had come with him. The leaders. He said, boys, come here a second. The very first thing God told me was, don't be afraid. And it was a command, not a suggestion. He said, don't be afraid because I've got them, and not one of them is going to get away. I'm doing it all. Don't be afraid. A command. 
And that's not ugly. That's a loving, gracious, almighty God that's telling you tonight, don't be afraid of the attack of the kings that are coming to destroy you and stop God's will in your life and detain you and cause you not to have what God wants you to have. Don't be, I'm, I'm telling you, poor self-image, doubt, unbelief. I'm not worthy. The enemy trying to bring the king of guilt in your life, trying to bring depression to you, oppression, trying to bring all these things of your worth. You have no worth or value. God doesn't love you, care for you. All these things are kings that have kingdoms that try to destroy the child of God. And he brought his men up and he said to them, do not be afraid. Whoa! Where did he hear that? He heard it from God himself. And he said, and secondly, don't be discouraged when you face the thing that's trying to destroy you. I'm going to tell you, I can't tell how many times I've been in court. I've testified in court a thousand times. And I had to face the things that I was there to charge. And sometimes those things were scary. Sometimes they were threatening. Sometimes you didn't want to be in the same room. But God would give me a poise and give me a peace to know I was on the right side. And you're on the right side. Do you hear me? You're on the right side. Your defense attorney is also the prosecutor. He's the one that protects you. He's your advocate. And when you go to court, when you go to confront, he said, put that back up there, Boone. Leave something on there. Don't leave it blank. You work too hard to leave that blank. He said, Joshua said to them, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And then he said this. Look at this. After he said, don't be afraid and don't be discouraged, he said, be strong. And it's a process. First, we remove fear. After we remove fear, then he says, we have to remove discouragement. And after discouragement, he gives us strength and courage. This is what the Lord, this is the top guy. This is the name of Elohim. He says, the Lord will do to all the enemies you Listen to this. The Lord is, this is what the Lord will do to the enemies you are going to fight. Now go to the next verse. And Joshua put the kings to death and exposed their bodies. All right, just a second. Go back one. Go back one. So he calls the men to him, and he says, this is what's going to happen. Now, if we jump past the verse, he calls his leaders up, and he takes the, those kings, whatever it is to you tonight. And, and, and I know human nature, and I also know the, the, the Holy Spirit that told me what to do and what it was going to do in your life. And he called his men up and he said, you were with me when we attacked them. You were with me when we looked them in the face. You were with me when you heard their threats and how they were going to annihilate us. And, and now I want you to don't be afraid of what you heard or what you saw or what you feel or what you think. Don't be afraid of it. In yourself, you can't do that. But God's saying to you, I am in you. That's why you don't have to be afraid. I reside in you. That's why you don't have to be discouraged. That's why you don't have to fear. Because I'm in you. 
And my power is greater. I'm greater than those kings that's come against you. So because of his command, because of the fact that now we are a temple of the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> and you understand when you accept Jesus, how many people in here know Jesus? Say amen. amen. You are filled with the Holy Ghost. You're a temple of the Holy Ghost. He lives in you. That's the source of strength that the enemy has no ability over. And the Holy Spirit in you says, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Don't be dissuaded. Don't doubt. Don't be strong and have courage in me. Because I have overcome them. And he said to the men, I want to encourage you. And he laid those five kings down and he put his foot on the neck of one of them. And he says, see this? That's the ultimate. I'm in control. My foot is on the neck of this thing that you thought was going to destroy you. I mean, you were convinced this king, the Jebusites, the Hivites, Hittites, the Hivites, all of these, they had, and Hebron, all of these they had the ability, we thought, to destroy us. This thing that is causing you concern looks like it has the ability to slow you down, stop you, discourage you, depress you. Huh. Greater is he that's in you. And he said, I want you to do something, man. And the men went, what? And he said, put your foot on the neck of them just like me. And he called his leaders up and he said, come on, put your foot on the neck. And they, they said, man, this is, this, is the, this is the very thing that caused us to be fearful in battle and wonder, what if? What if they won? What if this happened? He said, put your foot on the neck and step on it just a little bit. You know, there's a carotid artery right here. Oh, I got to tell you this story. <laughs> I got called to a home of a guy. This is nothing. This is just funny. I got called to a home of a guy, an old man that they thought was dying. That was in the Olympics in the 30s or 40s. It's been a long time ago. And I went with a deputy on a welfare check, and we went into his house, and he had an oxygen cord that had gotten uh, something had pushed down on it and he wasn't getting oxygen and he was dying and so we got there he, I saw it so I fixed it all of a sudden the oxygen started coming back and the old man started coming back laying in his bed and he was telling me about being in the Olympics and everything he said the only regret I have in my life is my wife married a kite well I don't know if you know what the baddest word you can call a Jew is but that's it and I stopped and I went, what? He said, yeah, she married a kite. And he goes, man, I just can't believe it. And I saw that cord down in front of me, and I just kind of stepped over on it like that. And when he got to going, <gasps> I stepped off of it. And I thought, I'm going to keep doing that until he quits calling my people that name. Do you know you have the ability to step on the oxygen cord of the enemy? <clears throat> God will use you to do it. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. 
Be strong. I didn't step on it for long. (laughs) Just long enough for me to know I was in control. I'm going to tell you something. It's not you, but it's God in you that's in control. God's in control. Leadership. Everyone in this house are leaders. You're leaders in your home. You're leaders in our country. You're leaders in our community. And I know this, before we go into this step of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit and being dude and empowered, we've got to put the squash on these kings. Now let me tell you something. I want you to listen very, very closely. This is very important. I'm praying that God gives a hunger for the baptism of the Holy Spirit in this house like we've never had it. But let me explain something to you that will bring peace to you. And I really, this will. When I say that, I know, I remember what it was like for me when someone said, we're going to have a service and we're going to pray people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And people go, oh, what if I don't get it? Like it's a disease or something. You know, what if I don't get the measles? What if I don't catch it? And then you think, well, I'm not going to fake it. I don't care what they do. I'm not going to fake it. No. Well, how do I know when it's going to happen? Does my body get taken over? Let me tell you all these things. Let me tell you what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. And it's the sweetest thing when you understand it. Because you may be baptized here. You may be baptized at home. But you need the power of the Holy Spirit in your life through the evidence of speaking in tongues. You need the the power that the baptism gives you. It's a step in God that's powerful in the last days. It's the natural progression of the believer to be saved, baptized in water, and baptized in the Holy Spirit. Natural. Jesus, I'm going away, but I'm going to send you a comforter. Let me just tell you this. When you accepted Jesus in your life, the Holy Spirit dwells, indwells you. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. That's Scripture. If you believe that, say amen. amen. So to be baptized in the Holy Spirit doesn't mean you've joined the clique or the club or you finally made it or he ain't going to do it. And I'm a, see, that's fear and discouragement and dread and doubt. To be baptized in the Holy Spirit is to allow what's in you just to come out. That's all. He's there. It's when you begin to worship and praise him and somebody's not in there going, speak it, brother, speak it, or shake. or You don't need instruction. <coughs> I had people when I was a kid growing up in Pentecost, they tried to shake you into the baptism or choke you into it or <coughs> tell you what to say or just make up words. And I, thought, that ain't, that's it. I don't like that. If I want some, I want it real. I want it from God. I don't want it from man. And I don't want to worry about, well, whatever doesn't happen, do I feel like I'm a failure compound? No. I'm telling you, when you realize the baptism of the Holy Spirit is when, as a child of God, being filled with the Holy Spirit when you're saved, it's what's in you just comes out, and it comes out in a form of worship and praise. And when you yield yourself to God, and you say, Lord, I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit, and Holy Spirit, you're in me. And I'm just going to ask you as I begin to worship and praise you, I'm going to ask you to fill my tongue with a language that only God knows. 
I'm going to tell you it's that sweet and it's that simple. But what happens is impacting on your life. It's incredibly changing. If you believe that, say amen. Well, I haven't been baptized. I don't want anybody to know. Well, get out of the cave. Get out of the cave. Because it's something God wants to give you that's already there. He just wants you to be able to express that love and power to him. You're a temple of the Holy Spirit. Just say, Lord, bring out in me what is there. Holy Spirit, come show me the fullness of your presence in my life. He'll baptize you. Anybody agree with that? Anybody? I'm telling you, that's how it's done. I've watched it in this church. I've watched it over the years. I watched a little girl that came, and she wasn't real sure about that. And, and, but she got hungry for it, and she started asking God, Oh, God, I think it's real. I hope it's real. I want to be great. I think Baptist background and a great little mother and coach. But I remember one night when she just lifted her hands and Dr. Kendra stopped. Scott began to speak in tongues and worship God. And God broke her. You remember? Grace. Right here in this church. And one day she was at Silver Dollar City and Corbin wandered off by himself someplace. And she called me. Or Brandon called me and said, we've lost Corbin at Silver Dollar City. Said, hey, relax. There's only 25,000 people there. I mean, she was. And I said, what did Kendra do? I don't want to tell you what happened. Let me tell you why God's handy. When that little boy got gone and she didn't know, Brandon's saying, pray, Pastor. And I heard Pastor, I heard Pastor Kendra over there with her. I heard her praying in tongues right at Silver Dollar City. She was praying, asking God and the Holy Ghost. Worship. You see, we pray, we're praying perfection in the Holy Spirit. And she lifted her hands, a mom that was scared to death and broke. See, fear came and doubt came and dread came and what if came. But she put her foot on the neck of that king and began to pray in tongues. And God did something. All of a sudden, they said the parents of Corbin Hayes, Scott needs to come pick him up. And when they got there, she was a nervous wreck. But he said, where'd you go? Corbin was mad. Where'd you go? Why? Could it have been worse? You bet you could have been worse. But she put her foot on the neck of the kings. And you can put your foot on the neck. And some of you tonight have got some kings on a combination of them. And I'm going to ask you, yeah, your chair and come down here if you want to put your foot on them. And we're together going to conquer those fears and those dreads and those doubts. And what? don't wait for somebody else. <clears throat> I want you to come down here in front. And I want you to help me because we're going to put our foot on the necks of those kings right now in the name of Jesus. The, 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 the king of doubt. The king of guilt. The king of fear. The king of what if. The king of confusion. All of those things that come that try to keep you from the mandate God's given you. And I'm telling you, we every, and you're looking at a man of God right here that, that, that's going to come right down there with you. Because I know the ones I need to put my neck on tonight, my foot on their neck tonight. But I've got to have the authority. And the authority came from Joshua. Do you know how to say Joshua in Hebrew? It's Yeshua. It's the same name as Jesus. And I'm going to tell you something. He was the first, maybe in the Old Testament, but I've got a new name now. And his name is Jesus, Yeshua. 
Yeshua Messiah and he's my God and he has given me the authority to put my foot on the neck. Listen to me just a second. I don't want you to come up here like this. Oh, God, help me. I want you to come up here and say, Father, I believe you told me not to fear. I believe you told me not to doubt. I believe you.